Hey everybody, it's Mike. Welcome or welcome back to the Revision Church Podcast. While you're here, make sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download the Revision app, which is actually the best way to get access to new content and share it with friends. You can get the app by texting Revision App to 77977. Thanks for listening today. My hope is that this message will be helpful for you and would inspire you to take the next step on your faith journey. Amen. You guys can take a seat. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors at Revision. I'm excited to be here today. How about you? All right. For the last few weeks, we've been in this series called Talking to the Ceiling. How do I hear from God? Because let's be honest, sometimes when we're trying to talk to God, it feels like we're just talking to the ceiling. And at least if you guys are anything like me, sometimes it doesn't feel like God is saying anything back at all, even though we've grown up and heard in church our entire lives that God always answers prayer. It can be frustrating and confusing. I saw a good video about it this week, though, from these two guys, Cool Carl and Andy, who just so happen to be the dudes that make a lot of our revision t-shirts. They own a t-shirt company, and they put theology videos on Instagram. It's a weird skill set, but they both have it. Check this out. Oh, what's up, dude? Yeah. Sick Rita, dude. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, I got a question. Shoot. What do you do when God doesn't answer your prayers? Huh? So what do you do when God doesn't answer? Nah, I heard you loud and clear, my dude. It's just... God doesn't do that. Do what? Do that. What? That. What? That. What specifically? Not answer prayers. Doesn't happen. Uh, yes, it does. No, it doesn't. Yeah? No. Yeah? God, I pray for real right now. Told you so. Sorry to burst your bubble, dude, but that looks like a no. A no? A no. A no? I know. Well, that's not an answer. Sure it is. Here's an example. Can I have your shirt? No. Can I have your shirt? No. Just answer the question. I did. I said no. Oh, I get it. <laughs> yep, sometimes we get a yes and sometimes we get a no. Sometimes we even get a maybe not right now. <laughs> but like I said, there's no such thing as an unanswered prayer. Wow, that's dope. You're gonna trade my shirt for your burrito? Deal. That's so. Oh, what's up, dude? Yeah. All right, so I feel like that's the whole sermon right there. And now I'm hungry for Chipotle. Let's just pray and get some lunch. But really, it is spot on. God actually promises us when we pray, He listens. And sometimes we get a yes, sometimes we get a no, sometimes we get a not yet. Like it's critical for us to understand, especially when it feels like we're talking to the ceiling, that God's delays are not God's denials. And God's silence is not God's absence. That's a foundational truth we can build our lives on. And yet, it's not everything we're hoping for when we pray, right? We really do sometimes want to know what God's answers are, like what God has to say about our work situation, what God might have to say about our marriage struggles or our dating relationship. Is he or she the right one? And if not, when, if ever, is God going to bring the right one along? We want to know what God has to say about that friend or family member we've been struggling with, about our plans for the future and our career, about how to parent our kids, about how to survive this world where everywhere we look seems to be increasingly divisive and violent about what God wants us to do with our lives and how God wants us to meet the needs in front of us. We are desperate for a word from God. So this morning, what I want to talk about is how we can hear God, because I'm convinced learning to hear from God is one of the most important things you will ever learn to do. 
but it's also one of the most difficult and frustrating things you'll ever try to do. Because who among us hasn't cried out for some guidance at some point and heard nothing? And also who hasn't been frustrated because we were looking for a word from God and someone stood on a stage and said they had a word from God, but it wasn't a word from God, it was their words. And they used and abused and put words in God's mouth that hurt us, that didn't sound very much like Jesus. That's real. That's life. That's faith for so many of us. And yet, despite that reality, God wants to talk to you. It's true. No matter who you are, what you've done, or where you've been, God wants to talk to you. A couple weeks ago, we said prayer is communication with the Creator in any and every form, verbal and nonverbal, whether it's songs or groans or words or cries, anything you do that communicates with God is prayer. But part of communication isn't just talking to someone, it's hearing from them. And so God's continual invitation in the Bible to prayer isn't just an invitation for us to talk at him, it's an invitation for us to talk with him and hear from him. In fact, hearing the voice of God is a critical aspect of what it looks like to follow him. In John 10, Jesus talks about how he's the good shepherd and we're his sheep. And then he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. My sheep listen to my voice. How do we hear from God? Really simply, we listen to the voice of Jesus because Jesus is what God sounds like. When I say listen, I don't just mean in a general sense. The word in John 10, 27 is akuo. It's where we get acoustics. And any good musician or sound technician will tell you that acoustics is more than just noise. It's more than just general listening. There's volume and tone and nuance to it. And unfortunately for us, learning to decipher the volume and the tone and the nuance of God's voice isn't just a switch we can flip. It's a journey that all of us are on. And we're at different points in the journey, just like every married person sitting in here is at a different point in their communication journey. But the closer we get and the longer and more intimately we connect, the better we communicate. To the point where like what would take a few minute conversation when you first start dating just takes eye contact from across the room after 20 years. Jenny has a handful of different one-second facial expressions that communicate a whole paragraph, for better or worse, to me. I see them, I know them, because we've been on a journey. And the closer we get, the more I understand it. And so for all of us, the closer we get to God and the more intimately we walk with Him, the better we understand His voice. But what I want to do this morning is say, like, no matter where you're at, here's how you can take a step down that path to learn just a little bit better what God is trying to say to you and how you can hear from him because he wants to talk to you. And we're gonna do that this morning by digging into one of my favorite stories in the Bible. I love it because it's funny, but powerful all at the same time. So if you have a Bible or a Bible handy, you can crack it open to Luke chapter 24. It's about three-fourths of the way through. If you hit Mark, keep going. If you hit John, go back. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along with the words on the screen. And if you need one or your kids do, they're free in the Next Steps area. Please take them home when you leave today. But Luke 24, this is what's going down. This is the day of the resurrection. And so the chapter kicks off with these women going to Jesus' tomb to try and like, you know, embalm the body because some men buried him the first time and they're like, they did not do it right. But when they show up, he's not there, which is surprising because nobody expected nobody. Like, I don't know if you guys know this about dead people, but it's time for science with Mike. Uh, Dead people don't tend to move. Like, 
every time but one in human history, they stay wherever you left them. And so when they show up and the dead guy isn't where they left him, it sends a shockwave throughout all Jerusalem. They're like, he is not there. And so what we read starting in verse 13 is the story of these two people who are just trying to figure out what in the world is going on. It says this, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. So just to set the scene, these are commuters. They live in a suburb of the capital city and they commute every day for work and other stuff. Maybe some of us in this room can relate to that. So that's what's going down. They're walking home and then something happens. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. That seems odd, right? That the risen Jesus is there with them and somehow he keeps them from recognizing him. I think in part, it's because he really needed them to hear what he was about to say. Like hear it, hear it without their minds just being blown and racing by the fact that he was dead and he's clearly not dead anymore. But I also think they weren't looking for him. It was probably less of a struggle for Jesus to conceal his identity from them than we might imagine in our minds because they weren't looking for Jesus. And I can't help but wonder how many of us are in that same boat. Like Jesus is real and present, but in the hustle and bustle of our lives, we don't stop to look for him or to assume that he might be there with us with a word to speak to us. It's just difficult in the middle of the busyness of this culture to press pause and look and listen for Jesus. I just feel like in my own life, probably I miss him more often than I'd care to admit. But thankfully, these two travelers don't make the the same mistake of not listening to him at all. Uh, He shows up and then he asks them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? What things? Jesus asked. Time out. Can you imagine him asking that question? Just the stupid smirk on his face while he pretends not to know his own life story. And they're like, have you not even heard? He's like, no, what's up? Tell me about it. And they're like, oh, you're going to be excited to hear this. Jesus is funny. And they're like, about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers, they handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. But we, like, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. What's more, on the third day after all this took place, it's, it's right now, like some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb this morning and they didn't, they didn't find his body. They came and told us they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb. They found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. All right, so these guys tell Jesus his life story, and then they finally take a breath, which I so see myself in this. Like after they're done explaining to Jesus everything he should know and everything he should think and everything he should do, they let him talk. And that is my prayer life sometimes. Anybody else? I could come to God. I'm like, hey, here's your to-do list for the day. Here's the stuff that's concerning me. Here's what you should think about that. Here's what you should do about that. You're welcome. Jesus looks at him, he's like, hey, thanks so much for your input, but uh, listen up. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? 
And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. This is my favorite part of the story. They get to their house and then they stop. They're about to go in and Jesus kind of just keeps on walking like he's got somewhere else to go. He does not. He is risen from the dead. His schedule is wide open. He's got literally nothing on the calendar for eternity, but he, he kind of keeps on going, just faking it. Like, what, what are they going to do? And every time I get to that part of the story, it haunts me a little because I wonder how often Jesus just walks on by because he's not going to force himself on me. Like for, for these two dudes, if they didn't want to talk to Jesus, if they had something better to do than sit in his presence, he wasn't going to make them invite him in. He was just going to keep walking. I think it begs the question for you and me and all of us, how often do we get trapped in the stuff on our schedules and the craziness of our calendars and the entertainment that's available in our culture and then Jesus shows up but we don't even look up so he keeps walking by. And thankfully, these guys invited him in. In verse 29, we read, but they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. That's all it took, you guys. Just an invitation. He's gonna keep rolling. They said stay, so he stayed. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And their eyes were open and they recognized him. Can you just imagine this moment? Try it for a second. They've been walking with him for two hours, learning about the Bible and about scripture, and he's in their house. And all of a sudden, the, the dead guy isn't dead. He's at your table. And they're just like, holy cow. And Jesus is like, wrong religion. Holy cow is Hindu. I'm Jesus. And then he disappeared from their sight. Weirdest moment of their lives. And I haven't been able to find any biblical scholars who agree with me on this. Actually, I did some research this week. I haven't been able to find any biblical scholars who seem to have ever thought about it. But I like to imagine Jesus gave him finger guns and a dab before he disappeared. They're just like, it's you. And he's like, but he's gone. And at that point, they're pretty jazzed up. They got a lot of adrenaline flowing. They're like, we're not our hearts burning within us. Oh, we were on the road and he opened the scriptures to us. I bet they were. It'd be pretty cool to be taught the Bible by Jesus. And then they got up at once and returned to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true. The Lord has risen and he appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Okay. This is an incredible picture, this story, of the two main ways we hear the voice of God. The $64,000 theological term for them is the vox externa and the vox interna. The word outside of us written down and the word directly to us spoken. Put pretty simply, the, the word and the whisper. God speaks to us through his word and his whisper. And if we wanna learn to hear his voice, we got to pay attention to both. So let's start with the word because that's where Jesus started. It's fascinating that when he showed up on the road with them, he didn't just show up as Jesus and start having a conversation with them about the specifics of their life. He started with scripture. 
He took him back to the beginning of the human story as it was written in God's word and explained what it meant to them. And the most interesting thing that he did was that he pointed out all of it points to him. Because the first deep conversation the resurrected Jesus ever had was a two-hour Bible study. Like if I told you, if you show up next Sunday at Revision, you're going to have the greatest encounter with God you've ever had in your entire life. A lot of you would make sure to be here. You maybe would even invite friends. You might drive back a day early from Thanksgiving with your in-laws just to, just to make it happen. Also, because it's one less day with your in-laws. But if you showed up for Mike's promised encounter with God day, and I was like, all right, we're going to encounter God, three-hour Bible study this morning. Some of you would be mad that I baited you into that. Because we want smoke and thunder. We want shake, rattle, and roll. We want to see healings. Like an encounter with God seems like it should be like something where the floor moves beneath our feet. And yet, in the greatest encounter with God these two people would ever get, what they got was a deep understanding of God's word. Why? Because God speaks through God's word. That's why he calls it his word. God speaks to us and we can hear his voice and his word. And part of the reason he gives us that revelation is that he knows we as a race of human beings are apt to put our feelings in his mouth so that we can do whatever we want unless we have some source of objective truth that exists outside of us. Like especially in a modern world that's so obsessed with experience, we'll reject truth right in front of our faces if it doesn't feel like what we want to be true. We just have this myopia of, of a locatedness in a certain place and time and society that blinds us to reality. We tend to see things not as they are, but as we are. And so God speaks through his word, through the Bible, through this book in which he reveals himself and his voice to us in order to give us an objective standard full of objective truths to live by so that we can step into the fullness of our created creative purpose rather than letting the subjectivity of our feelings and our culture create a moment where we settle for something less because it feels like it'll bring life and then ultimately it brings death. You guys, Jesus rose from the dead. I'm with him. Like, if you can die and then raise yourself from the dead, I'm on your team. I don't care what anybody else says. <laughs> like, that's world history. He's risen. I'm on his side. And one of the very first things the risen Jesus did was told us, open up the word. You're going to hear God's voice there. And so because of the authority that, that Jesus, the one who said all authority on heaven and earth has been granted to me, because of the authority he lends the Bible, we stand on it and we believe it. We trust that God through his word gives us a bigger, better vision of who he is and who we're created to be, of, of what it means to be fully human and fully alive. I don't know, that's not fashionable in today's day and age. The Bible's kind of like, it's, it's old and it's, it's ancient and... and People in our culture don't love it anymore. And some of you may have been thinking right now, like, oh, here it was, Mike said, he's going to tell us how to hear from God, and all this is is a message on why I should read my Bible. Yes, exactly, unapologetically. If you don't like it, get your money back at the door and go follow your feelings, but how's that working out for you? Or anyone around you. Not very well. We're a people of the book because God speaks through the book. Like, there's no way around it. We can't say God is silent when our Bibles are closed. We can't, we can't say God's silent when our Bibles are closed because scripture is the language of God's heart. And I know, 
Right? I know it's confusing sometimes. There are parts of it we read and we're like, I don't understand what this is about. And that's why we have community. Like, it, it's real that we open it up and don't understand it sometimes. But guess what? It's also super long and very boring in a lot of different parts. So I just think we gotta admit that right off the bat. That's why it's the most purchased, least read book in the world. 78% of American households own a Bible, less than 9% read it regularly. However, a recent study done of over 40,000 adults found that people who are reading their Bibles regularly are 30% less likely to feel lonely, 32% less likely to have anger issues, 60% less likely to feel spiritually stagnant, 228% more likely to share Jesus with the people they crash into, among a whole host of other things. Do you know why? Because God's voice is transformational. We can't help but be changed in a powerful, meaningful way when we hear from God. Now, I know it's, it's not always easy to make time for reading the Bible, but I think it becomes easier when we stop seeing it as a to-do list or a textbook and we remember that it's a love letter from a creator who gave everything to chase us down when we were running away from him. So it matters that we hear God's voice through his word. And I think particularly in this day and age, it matters that we listen to God's voice through God's word because there are people who have twisted God's voice and put words in his mouth that are not his words. In the last book of the Chronicles of Narnia, the the last battle, there's this great ape named Shift. And one day he's walking along, he finds a lion carcass and decides, maybe I could use this for my own purposes. And so he, he goes and grabs this dumb donkey named Puzzle and he drapes the lion carcass over Puzzle. And he tells everyone, that's Aslan, the lion, the rightful king, the, the Jesus figure in the story. And he begins to tell all the creatures of Narnia, this is Aslan and I, I am the one that speaks for Aslan. He doesn't let anyone get up close to the donkey ever. He just parades him out at night and against the light of the night sky, it looks like Aslan. And so as, as Aslan's mouthpiece shift gains a whole lot of power and a whole lot of wealth and he begins to oppress all the characters of Narnia as the one who speaks for Aslan. And then the heroes of the story eventually reveal the roost and they come and they, they rescue the entire land of Narnia in the name of Aslan. And there's great rejoicing that Aslan has set them free except among the dwarves. The dwarves look at them and they're like, how do we know that you speak for Aslan? That last guy said he spoke for Aslan too, and he hurt us. How can we trust anybody who's speaking in the name of Aslan? Get out of here. We don't believe. Look, I think so many of us in our world have been hurt like that. I talk to people all the time who are deconstructing their faith, not because Jesus hurt them, but because somebody hurt them in the name of Jesus. I just sit across the table and I was like, look, I'm sorry that that happened, but this is what Jesus really wants to say. And I've had so many conversations where like, yeah, 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 Mike, but how do I know you speak for Jesus? And I think that'd be really disheartening and depressing and frustrating, except for it's not. Because just like Chronicles of Narnia, Aslan speaks for himself. Like I don't have to be the one who meters out the word of Jesus because Jesus speaks for himself. And that's why it matters that we open up the word of God because there Aslan speaks for himself. It's Aslan's love letter and he speaks for himself, but that's not the only way Aslan speaks for himself. The Bible isn't the only place we can hear the word of God. It's interesting. There are actually two different Greek words in the New Testament that we translate the word of God. 
Now, most of us, if we grew up high church, Lutheran, Catholic, Anglican, or we grew up evangelical, Baptist, Reformed, E-free, whatever, we hear the phrase, the Word of God, or we read the phrase, Word of God, in the New Testament, and we think, Bible. Really, anybody but charismatics think Bible, right? And usually, that's what it means. The main word that we translate Word of God in the New Testament is logos, and Logos is the word written in Scripture and delivered to us, but there's this other word in the New Testament, rhema, which we also translate word of God, that means something a little bit different. It's a word in Matthew when Jesus is being tempted by the devil, and he said, man does not live by bread alone, but on the word of God that comes from his mouth. It's a word in Hebrews 3 when it says, we know that by the word of God, the world was created. Rhema is the spoken prophetic word of God, the word of God right now delivered right to you. Logos is the vox externa, the word. Rhema is the vox interna, the whisper. It's the dynamic presence and direction of God in your life today. And some of you may have grown up in traditions like me where you're like, that feels a little bit weird. Like we hear stories about Muslims in mass converting to Christianity because Jesus is appearing to them in their dreams in the Middle East. This is happening all over the world. You can read about it and we're like, I believe that Jesus is doing that. It's so cool over there. I don't know if that's what way the Middle East is, but I'm pointing that way. Like it's so cool that it happens over there, but in my bedroom at night to me, like I don't, I don't know what I think about that. Well, think about that because the Bible is clear. God speaks to you through both his logos and his rhema. And in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul tells us that the rhema, the whisper of God is often meant to edify, encourage, strengthen, build up and comfort us. God's rhema words are, are meant to help us live more fully alive and they're meant to be spoken through us to help the people we crash into live more fully alive as well, which means we desperately need those words. We desperately need them. But how do we hear them? Because it's a little bit more complex than opening up our Bible, right? We might not do that as much as we should, but most of us know how. 95% of us in the room can read. The middle school boys, I've sat in on their revive group a couple times. I don't know. <laughs> but the rest of us can read. We know how to do that, like vox externa, the word. But the vox externa, the whisper, how do we listen for that? Well, really simply, we ask God to speak and then we listen and then we wait, sometimes for a long time because the voice of God can be difficult to hear and understand and discern, especially when we're at the beginning of the journey and we haven't yet learned what it sounds like. Like we want it to come booming from heaven, right? And be audibly clear like, Mike, you need to eat steak for dinner tonight. Like Jenny, God said, so get grilling. Like, just like it was 3,000 years ago for Elijah, God's still small voice is often found in the whisper and the silence. I think too often in our lives we miss it, not because it's too strange or intense, but because it's too familiar and gentle, and we aren't even trying to listen. And let me be clear, gentle doesn't mean easy. Very frequently, the voice of God calls us to difficult things, to challenging things, that demand we leave our comfort zone. But it also comes with its own sense of comfort and peace because it comes with the promise that God loves us and he never leaves us. And we're only ever going to hear that voice by carving out time to listen. You guys, we can't say God is silent if our ears are closed. Like if we never take the time to press pause and sit and wait and listen for God, we can't declare that he's not speaking, right? But how do we know when we hear his voice? Like how do we know it's 
from him? How do I know that like that was a word from the Lord versus just being whatever my dumb brain thinks because the internal narrative is just always cooking or like, how do I know it's not just the after effects of some weird leftovers I ate from lunch? How do I know? Again, it's a journey and we get better at it along the way, but I have a really simple ABC test for you. It comes from a guy named Pete Gregg. If you want to read two of the most transformational, life-changing books, like written for everyday people, not expert theologians, I've come across in the last decade, Pete has two books called How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People, and How to Hear God, A Simple Guide for Normal People, and they're phenomenal, easy reads. Everybody should read them. But he gives us this, this ABC test to say, like, okay, is this something God is telling me? A, is it affirming? Most of the rhema words from God we get are meant to build people up. Occasionally, we'll get a difficult word that needs to be spoken to somebody. That's real. But our first litmus test is like, is this something that fills my bucket? Is this something that would fill somebody else's bucket? Is this going to help me or help them be more of who God created them to be? And if the answer is yes, check that box. If it's not yes, run it through some other tests first. Before you say a word from God that's going to beat somebody up, make sure to run that through a whole lot of other tests, including community. But if it checks that box, and this is like an encouraging word that's going to build somebody up, all right, A, is it affirming? B, is it biblical? And by biblical, I don't mean can you find some random verse somewhere that makes it feel like it's what you wanted to hear or what you wanted to say. Don't do that stupid stuff of yanking stuff out of context. Like I read a story not that long ago. This guy was like, okay, I want to hear from God. And I'm just going to, I'm going to crack open my Bible. I'm going to point to a verse and whatever's there, I'm going to decide that's just God saying, you know, that's what I'm supposed to do. And so he did it and he landed on Matthew 27, 5, which was, and Judas went away and hanged himself. He's like, oh, that's not good. That can't be, that can't be right. I'm trying again. So he closed his Bible, opened it up, pointed it again. Luke 10, 37, Jesus says, go and do likewise. Oh. <laughs> Don't be pulling verses out of context. There's some significant consequences for your life. What I mean by is it biblical is does it fit with like the whole thrust of scripture? Does this rhema word you feel like God gave to you fit with the logos word as a whole? Is it affirming? Is it biblical? And then is it Christ-like? Does it sound like something Jesus would say to me? And not our cultural like best buddy Jesus who just comes along and gives you a thumbs up for doing whatever in the world you feel like doing, but the Jesus who loved me so impossibly, he stepped out of eternity into the human story, but then loved me so ridiculously that he didn't just leave me where I was. Like he loved me just as I was, but too much to leave me as I was and gave everything so that I could be forgiven and set free and then called me to life. Does it sound like something that Jesus would say? And if it checks all three of those boxes, if it's affirming and biblical and Christ, like roll with it. Go, move forward, speak it out loud to the person you feel like God wants you to speak it out loud to because even if you're wrong and it checks those boxes, it's probably gonna encourage them. I can tell you this from personal experience. If you thought it was a word from God and it checks those boxes and it builds up the people around you, but you were wrong, God will get you back on track and he might even use your stupidity. A couple years ago, I was at a conference with thousands of church planters and ironically enough, Pete Gregg was speaking and he said, at the end, this is what we're gonna do. You're gonna find a partner. We're gonna listen for three minutes for a word from the Holy Spirit and then I just want you to share it with the person you're partnered with. But I was at the conference with a bunch of Baptists. Like we grew up thinking the Trinity was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Bible. We didn't talk a lot about the Holy Spirit. None of us had ever done this kind of stuff before. But 
unfortunately, there was an odd number of us, and I was sitting on the end. So instead of being partnered with a fellow struggling Scandinavian Baptist, I got partnered with Ken, an old guy from Missouri. And sadly for Ken, Ken got partnered with me. So I'm trying, right? I'm like, all right, God, give me a word for Ken. I'm thinking really hard. I'm like, give me a word, give me a phrase. Give me a picture, God. I'll take anything. You know what I thought of? An egg. That's it. I spent three minutes desperately seeking some sort of word from God to encourage Ken. And all I could think about was an egg. And then we got to the end and Pete's like, okay, share your thing. And I said, Ken, I'm so sorry. I really do think God loves you. He wants you to keep going, but I, I, I egg. So dumb. <laughs> I'm just hanging my head. I'm like, oh man. Picturing God in heaven in this moment. And the father looks at Jesus like, what did he just say? He said, egg. He did not. He did. And they both look at the Holy Spirit like, did you tell him to say that? And the Holy Spirit's like, no. <laughs> He's just hungry. I didn't tell him to say that at all. And the father chuckles a little. He's like, ha. I like that he tried though. He said it out loud. We'll use that. Fast forward six months. I hadn't told anybody about this story. It's embarrassing. This was between me, Ken, and Jesus. Egg, I'm a pastor. I should have done better than that. I'm sitting in the revision office on a Sunday morning, getting ready for church. And um, more vulnerably than I would care to be up here, because it's part of the story and it's part of my story, I was in one of the lowest, most difficult places I've ever been in my entire ministry career. Just this overwhelming sense that like the task was too big and I couldn't do it and just crippled with self-doubt. There's a voice in the back of my head screaming, you cannot do it. You are not enough. You're just going to fail all of these people and God's going to be disappointed in you. And that's such terrible theology. But when you do what I do, sometimes that fear and insecurity gets in there. So I collapsed on the couch and I did some you know, positive self-talk. I said, shut up, stand up and say what God gave you to say because maybe he's got a word for somebody else and it's not about you. And then my phone buzzed. Now long story short, my little sister prays for me every Sunday morning while she's setting up at her church. And she doesn't text me every Sunday morning, just kind of at random. Once or twice a month, she'll send me a Bible verse or like, hey, I was thinking about you. Hope you're doing good. Well, this morning, 6.45 a.m., I pick up my phone, and it said this. Praying for you this morning, felt like God wanted me to share the word egg with you. (laughs) When I was praying for you, I just kept seeing an egg, like a regular old chicken egg. So there's that. I feel like a weirdo for sharing it, but felt like maybe God wanted to tell you. Hope you have a great day at Revision comfortably one of the most ridiculous moments of my life. If there was one word, like one thing that could say everything God needed to say to me in that moment about how he's with me and about how he loves me, not based on my performance, about how he loves Revision Church more than I will ever love it in my life. If there was one thing that could communicate everything, it was some dumb picture that I thought I heard from God eight months ago and I'd been convinced I hadn't. And I still think I might have been wrong about that. Ken, if you're watching, I'm still sorry. (laughs) But I promise you I got a word from God that Sunday morning. God is still speaking and he has a lot to say to us. And the only way we're going to hear his voice is if we make time to listen. And so the action step is real simple. It's not simplistic, but it's simple. I challenge you to carve out space on your calendars for the word and the whisper. 
for scripture and prayer. Because I, I think if you don't, I think if we don't, we're gonna continue to miss out on the encounter with God we were made for that just might change everything about our lives. But if we do, as we do, what we'll find is that God speaks, that God really does wanna talk to us. And his word may not be what we wanna hear when we wanted to hear it, but it will be exactly what we need, exactly when we needed it. Will you guys pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you for being a God who still speaks. Thank you for your word that we can open up day or night anytime we need to hear your voice. Lord, thank you for loving us, not just enough to do something on our behalf and and to, to save us from afar, but to connect with us deeply, intimately, and relationally. Thank you for being the creator of the universe and yet still caring enough about every single thing in our lives, the big things, the small things, and the in-between things that you invite us to talk to you and you invite us to hear from you. Lord, today, as we leave this place, would you just open up our hearts to what you have to say? Help us continue on this journey so that we can learn more deeply and more fully what your voice sounds like because that that changes everything for us. Thank you for being a God who cares about communicating with us. Amen.